0: Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter number 19. We didn't get very far last week, but that's all right. We're not in a race. If I'm not mistaken, last week we ended up in chapter, or in in verse number 3, and uh, it was uh, quite lengthy just uh, talking about that. In fact, I think I'm going to read it again because there, there is so much more that could be said about it, and I'll just sort of review, and then we'll, we'll get on. But it's such an important verse of Scripture. It says, The foolishness of man perverteth his way. Boy, we all see evidence of that, don't we? And his heart fretteth against the Lord. And that's where we spent most of our time. The fact that that word fretteth means to boil up or to be peevish or to be angry. And uh, it's just mind-boggling to think about the reality of the fact that people can feel that way toward God. But it happens. And so many times we see someone that, uh, well, you know, they... They need an attitude adjustment or it might be somebody that's just down in the, down in the dumps or uh, cantankerous or, or whatever it is, and we wonder what in the world is wrong with that person. And, and there's so many times, you know, we even perhaps offer our help and try to encourage them. Uh, or it might be somebody that really snaps at us, you, you know, you, nobody can get along with them, we wonder why. Well, in many instances, uh, the problem has to do with the fact that that they are angry with God about something. And it might be something that happened years ago. As I said last week, you'd be surprised how many times I've heard people talk about... Uh, being disappointed or angry with God because of their godly grandmother or grandpa that died and uh, they didn't feel like that was fair. So the reality of it is that happens. We get angry with God and a lot of times... Uh, there, there are several different reasons I mentioned that stress can be a factor, selfishness, sin—all of those things can enter into it. And then we kind of ended up last week talking about how ridiculous it is for us to ever entertain those feelings toward the Lord and uh, enter into a battle that 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 we can't win. You know, whenever I was a kid growing up. Uh, and I think it was this way in every school, Uh, the boys always had to establish a pecking order, and so, uh, you know, you have those afternoon schoolyard fights just to, you know, kind of see who's the toughest kid on the block or whatever it is. But in every neighborhood, uh, you mark it down, there was at least one guy, one dude that you didn't mess with, and you knew you knew that well, he's off limits, you know. You can pick a fight with anybody else you want to, but you don't mess with that guy uh, because you can't handle him. Well, you know, uh, it, it is so foolish to think about somebody that would uh, pick a fight with God. And boy, when you start complaining about God being unfair and stuff like that, Let me tell you, you're picking a fight you can't win. You're going to lose and end up getting hurt. And so we end up robbing ourselves of blessings. We end up uh, ruining our testimony and ruining our very lives. Well, that's where we left off. Now, tonight we pick up in verse number 4. I think I read this last week without comment. Wealth maketh many friends, but the poor... Is separated from his neighbor. Now we read that, and we look around at the world we live in today, and uh, it's like a little light comes on that tells us, "Wow, human nature hasn't ever really changed. It's the same way today as it was way back then." We, you know, we still see people choosing friends on the basis of their financial status or social status, and uh, we still see poor people being neglected. And Solomon says, wealth maketh many friends. But let me tell you, uh, that is true only in a nominal sense because you can't buy real, true friendship. Uh, you know, those, those kind of people that attach themselves to you uh, and say kind things about you and flatter you and make you feel good about yourself, just so they can use you in some way. Those people are not your friends. And uh, because you can't base it on things that are selfish. I read a true story about a couple of best friends and uh, they'd uh, been raised in the same area and what have you and gone off to college together. They were like sisters and... uh, one of them married into into money. She took a high-paying job herself, was among the elite in the community. And the other one was just uh, uh, spent her life working with poor families. Uh, she never was able to really get ahead. Just had a difficult time paying her rent and her bills. And and the richer friend. Uh, had no time for her. There were no phone calls, no expressions of concern, and all of that changed simply because of the financial status. And, and And it's so sad because those stories can be repeated over and over and over again and people do weird and strange things whenever they when they get the feeling, you know, that they've got a promotion or they got more money than somebody else and all of a sudden they think you know, that in some way they're better than they are. And we think about how this relates to our everyday life, whether it's getting along with your neighbor, whether it's dealing with people on the job, uh, wherever it is at. You know, we've got to learn that, you know, that that, that unless a, a relationship is built on love, uh, it's not going to work. But there's one... Just brief sentence here that really leaps out at me. And it says, uh, but the poor is separated from his neighbor. Separated, that means cut off, shut out, isolated. And uh, they're neglected, they're lonely. Let me tell you, that hurts. That hurts for anybody to just have people hold you at arm's length, don't want anything to do with you. You know, as a pastor, you hear a lot of things over the years from people that come in, and, you know, there might be a guest, and uh, maybe they're a member that used to attend a certain church in the area. And I've had people tell me, you know, I attended such and such church for a year, and nobody, nobody, ever shook my hand. Nobody ever engaged me in conversation. I went in, I sat down, had the service, service over. I got up, I walked out. Nobody ever had anything to to say to me. And, and I, I, I just can't get over that to think that any church could be that cold and indifferent And let me tell you, if we ever start getting like that, I'll probably have a heart attack throwing a fit up here on the platform because I'm not going to put up with that. You know, we can have an excuse for not having good preaching or a great choir or a lot of money or a lot of other things. We might have some excuses for that. But we never have an excuse for, uh, for shutting people out and being unfriendly. And it says the poor is separated from his neighbor. And the only thing that's going to bridge that gap is Christian love. Because then, you know, that puts us all on the same level. And that's why we need to think of each other in the church. Like we're a family. None of us are perfect, but we're a family. And as a family, we love one another unconditionally. And it's like I told, I think, all of my kids at some point in time uh, that you cannot do anything to ever stop me from loving you. It's impossible. You cannot do it. Uh, You can, you know, go against my uh, my orders or you can go against my advice. You can hurt me, do a lot of different things, but I'm not going to stop loving you. Uh, And I think I've been successful at that with my kids. I wish I could say I've uh, been that successful with everybody that I've ever known because uh, I've got to admit there's been a time or two that I've, you know, kind of pitched a hissy fit uh, because somebody hurt me or hurt my family or hurt the church that I was a pastor of. I can remember whenever I moved here and I'd made the statement, you know, and gone through some difficulties and what have you, but all of that was behind me, you know. I've forgiven those that had hurt me, no bitterness. And, you know, you really think you have sometimes, and then something will happen to remind you, and there it is all over again, you know. Evidence that you're still bitter toward that person. And uh, let me tell you, that can happen That can happen between spouses or it can happen with children and parents and that's why there's absolutely uh, no substitute for love. We've got to have it or everything else comes unraveled. Well, verse 5. A false witness shall not be unpunished and he that speaketh lies shall not escape. I don't know whether... The only time that I've ever listened to any kind of speech or anything by Obama was yesterday during the course of the memorial service for the fallen police officers, and I did listen to that. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm trying to weigh my words now. And then some com- some comments that were made later. Hillary made a comment and and had the nerve to say that our justice system needs to be reformed. I I couldn't believe that she was on national. Now look, this is not a Democrat Republican thing or anything else. If you don't like the fact that it's touching on politics, that's too bad. It's just it's touching on lying and dishonesty and somebody that would get up there and say our justice system needs to be reformed and it does there's no doubt about it it's got some problems because if it didn't have some problems she'd be in jail <laughs> and and she gets on national tv and makes a statement like that you know and and, and um, you know on facebook they've got it you got, you got it now. Where you on the like thing? You hover over that, and, uh, and and you can hit love or like or laugh or angry or whatever else you know. And uh, they need to put some more of those things on there, really, for some other stuff. But uh, but boy, a lot of times you read something like that, and you just really want to express your disappointment because here's what happens. We see people getting by with that. And we can look back over the years and think of a hundred examples probably. Someone that obviously did something wrong and because they got one of these high-powered lawyers or whatever, they got away with it. And here notice it says, A false witness shall not be unpunished. And I'm here to tell you that's true because their judgment day is coming one way or another, because we are accountable to God. And we look at that situation and we think, oh, they got away with it. No, they didn't get away with it. God's not going to let them get away with it. And it says, and he that speaketh lies shall not escape. So there's no escape because we're all accountable to God. Now, if you're a child of God out of the will of God and guilty of these sins, it's not that you're going to be punished for it someday. It's not that you're going to lose your salvation. It's that God's going to take you to the woodshed right here while you're on earth. That's the purpose of chastisement. You don't lose your salvation. It doesn't break your relationship. But when we sin against God, you mark it down, some bad stuff's going to happen. And and those same verses says, and if we be without chastisement, he says we're bastards, that is illegitimate, and not the sons of God. If I can do anything I want to do and nothing bad happens to me, you can just mark it down that I've never been saved. Because God's going to deal with me about that. Not because he hates me, but because he loves me. And and, and by the way, listen, it's not because he is trying to punish me. All of that's under the blood of Jesus Christ. It's for the purpose of correcting me. That's what that word chastisement implies, correction. And God corrects his children. Like somebody said many, many years ago, I think it was Spurgeon, said God never allows his children to sin successfully. Boy, that's true. You mark it down. Notice, and he that speaketh lies shall not escape. I've had people I've had people to say I know this sounds unbelievable to me too. I've had them to say I know what I'm doing is wrong, but God is merciful and his grace will 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 overlook it. I They've said that I'm talking about church members that have said that. And I thought, oh, my soul, you know, you, you need to study the Bible and find out what God really says about our disobedience. So this is serious stuff, a false witness and speaking lies. Now, verse number six, many will entreat the favor of the prince. Now, of course, the prince is the guy that's in charge of the show. And, and every man is a friend to him that giveth gifts. So here you have a prince, somebody in a position of, of great power, uh, and he has the ability to make your life better or bitter, uh, you know. He has the authority and the power to do it, you know. And and people like that are going to naturally have plenty of suitors trying to gain their favor. Boy, whenever we think about politics, and I, and I won't mention her name anymore tonight, but When we think about people in high positions in politics, folks, and giving millions of dollars and what have you and doing favors in order to court the favor of some of those salty princes and what have you, this is exactly what's happened. You better believe there's a payoff somewhere down the road for that kind of stuff. And you go to Washington and all of this lobbying for this and that and the other and what have you. And, you know, I, I know, look, this, this is America, free enterprise system. And I understand that people have the right to lobby for certain things and stuff like that. But mark it down whenever some little, some little one-horse town out here uh, talks the government into building a... Ten million dollar bridge over a creek you can jump over and stuff like that. Somebody, somebody's lining their pocket, and this—that's what this is all about. Many entreat the favor of the prince, and every man is a friend to him that giveth gifts. So we're, you know, we're talking about basically bribes, and and it's just sickening to, to think about that. But notice, every man is a friend to him that giveth gifts. Um. Well, like I said a while ago, you know, you can buy a favor, but you can't buy a friend. You can you can convince people to do something for you with money or favors, but uh, you're, they're not going to be your friend. And by the way, those people that claim to be your friends on that basis... You mark it down when push comes to shove and whenever things get tough and gets right down where the rubber meets the road and you need somebody you can depend on, I got news for you that they're not going to be there. They're going to be long gone. You're going to be left high and dry with nobody to help you, but a real friend will be with you through thick and thin. They'll stay with you regardless of what happens. Now, verse number seven, all of the brethren of the poor do hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursueth them with words, yet they are wanting to him. Now, again, this is something that shows how deep seated and far reaching this problem is. Notice now, he's talking about flesh and blood relations and and the brethren of the poor do hate him and again that's sad but it's true that a lot of times we see families divided over the over a matter of 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 money somebody's success and because of their hard work and everything you know they get up early stay up late work hard Uh, they you know they become rich or whatever and and, and, then, and then the other one doesn't do anything, and so you have that built-in friction. But, but there's always that possibility that those that are poor, because like we said earlier, poverty is not always because of laziness or sin. We we think about the Apostle Paul, as great as he was and the difficult times he went through. He said there were were times that he was hungry and naked and shipwrecked and and out there all alone. And somebody would think, you know, my, as much as he loved God, as good a man as he was, why would God let him get in a position like that? Well, the same reason he let John the Baptist get his head cut off. That's all a part of the plan that God had for his life at that particular time. And by the way, we don't understand that now, but when we, when we stand before the Lord, I'll guarantee you nobody's going to ask for an apology. Whenever, uh, you know, what, what's, what's that old song? Uh, uh, I, I'll ask the questions and he'll give the reason why. Help me out, Nolan. Or what, anybody remember that old song? We'll ask the questions. What? We'll talk it over. We'll talk it over. That's it. Yeah. And uh, wh- listen, whenever we hear the explanations, nobody, nobody's going to say, well, I know where you're coming from, but I, I still don't think I agree. <laughs> no. We'll, we'll all clap our hands and shout hallelujah and fall at his feet and say, "You, yeah, thank you. You got it right, Lord. I just didn't see it. But no, here's the sad part of, about this. In the second part of this, I want you to notice in the second part of this, it says here, he pursueth them with words, yet they are wanting to him. You get the picture in your mind now. His brothers have all forsaken him because they're successful and he's not, or he's poor, and he is appealing to them. They don't want anything to do with him. And he is chasing them, begging them, pleading with them, uh, wanting some demonstration of affection from them, and they just ignore him. You know, we'd probably be surprised if we knew how many people are really crying out for attention. Uh, and, And I mean the right kind of attention, attention from their families, probably little old kids that just, They'd just give anything if mom and dad would spend more time with them and show them attention. That's why I've said so many times, sometimes dad, the most spiritual thing you can do is play catch with your boy in the backyard or take your daughter to a piano recital. A lot of times that's a whole lot better than uh, doing stuff down at the church and what have you because they're looking for attention and we especially, whenever it comes from members of our own family, we especially, you know, want to want want to know that they love us. And uh, there's so many times that. Uh, do, you ever, do you ever write a letter and then water it up and throw it away, intentionally? I've done it both ways. I've written some I thought I was going to send, and uh, I, I threw it away. And, and other times I've written it, knowing I was I, I can't mail this. But just you know, just airing out your feelings. I, I sat down the other day and started writing an article about a man's foes shall be they of his own household. That's what Jesus said. Wow, really? His own foes shall be they of his own household, and I. And I thought about, hey, I've got relatives wanting to speak to me, will not speak to me. They, and uh, anyway, in the letter I was writing, that, something to the effect, you treat me like I'm dead while I'm living, don't show up at my funeral. I, you know, I don't want you there. Now, I didn't send that. I didn't say that to anybody. But I'm telling you, that's the way you feel in your heart. When people you love do not reciprocate, whenever people that you love shut you off and hold you at arm's length, they don't want to see you, they don't want to be around you, they won't be kind to you, uh, it hurts. And that's what this guy's doing. Look, he's chasing his brothers, begging, please, please, you know, and... They want nothing to do with me. Verse number 8. He that getteth wisdom loveth his own soul. And he that keepeth understanding shall find good. You know, a lot of times when we're dealing with the people that, you know, that's got problems and we're trying to help them. And, and what we do a lot of times is try to get them to look at the situation from the standpoint of what would be best for them. You know, and doing counseling as a pastor, a lot of times you do that. Or, or maybe teaching a Sunday school class, you will appeal to your children because you know the children, you know, they've got desires and things that they want to do this and they want to do that because that's the popular thing to do. And you you have to try to drive home the point to those children that, yeah, but you've got to take into consideration the long-term effects of what you're doing, and you've got to do what's best for you. And like I say so often, God's will is always right, and it's always best, and it's always safest. See, God's will is not just right. God's will is best. And if you want to do a favor for yourself, just do what God wants you to do. So we appeal to people on that basis. Try to we try to help them by enabling them to see that they're hurting themselves. And uh, and sometimes we we say something to the effect, you know, don't you care about what you're doing to yourself? Now, but notice here in our text here, it's uh, it tells us what a person does. If they're really concerned about their welfare, they seek after wisdom. He that getteth wisdom loveth his own soul. And he that keepeth understanding shall find good. You know, we go back to chapter 4, which we're not going to go back there tonight, but if we did, it shows us how important wisdom is. And if we lack wisdom, we end up hurting ourselves. And, and the sad thing about it is there are a lot of folks that that uh, even self-interest isn't enough to motivate them to do what is right and to do what is best and to walk right, wisely. And in the end, they end up destroying themselves. And the sad thing is most of the time they tr- they try to blame somebody else for it instead of taking the blame, you know, yeah. You know, I, I, I didn't keep understanding. I didn't get wisdom. I just ignored the, what path was right. I just did whatever felt best, whatever was most enjoyable. That's the way that I live my life. And, uh, and then they turn around and blame somebody else for it. He that getteth wisdom loveth his own soul. How much do you care about yourself? I'm talking about the right kind of self-love now. You know, whenever the Lord said that we're to love our neighbors, we love ourselves. He wasn't commanding us to love ourselves. He was assuming that we did, and we do. We love ourselves in the sense that we take care of ourselves, and that's the sense in which we're to love our neighbor in that we help to meet their needs. But if we really care for ourselves, we're going to pursue wisdom and do what we can to get understanding because in wisdom and understanding, there's great safety. Uh, Like I was talking about earlier, you know, uh, uh, growing up, you know, there's always always some guy that you didn't mess with. And we had one particular guy in town back whenever I I was more than grown up then had an old boy with the name of Bud Perryman. And I'm telling you what, everybody in town knew you didn't mess with Bud. The cops knew you didn't mess with Bud. Nobody messed with Bud. I mean, he was as bad as bad gets. And, and you see people reach a point in their mind where they don't care if they get hurt. You You better run from people like that. Because, you know, when they're stupid enough, they don't care if they get hurt so they can hurt you. Those kind of people are dangerous. Now look to just for somebody to go up and to know to know the reputation of somebody like that and go up there and pick a fight with them knowing what's going to happen that's as dumb as it gets but folks that's exactly what we do when we walk through life and we ignore what the bible teaches We ignore the need for wisdom and understanding because I'm telling you right now, none of us are smart enough to do it on our own. We need the guidance that God's Word provides. Now, verse 9, and we'll wrap it up. Verse 9, A false witness shall not be unpunished, and he that speaketh lies shall perish. Wait a minute. Didn't we just read that? We did, didn't we? Yeah, back in verse five. Wait a minute, here we go again. Same thing, all over again. And, and and you know, I I ask myself, well, why does he repeat it so soon? And you know, why is he talking about it at this point? Well, you you need to keep in mind that God is the author of this book, and God knew that uh, we're not always honest with ourselves. God knows that. And uh, we not only lie about others, sometimes we lie about our own condition. And so he says, A false witness shall not be unpunished, and he that speaketh lies shall perish. God knows our propensity to do things that are totally Now, I know the parents teacher kid don't use the word stupid but don't call people stupid that's okay but there's there is stupid you know Stupid's really something it, that that's a real word there's a real definition for it and God knows we'll do stupid self-destructive things and so just here in what four verses later, it's right back in your face again. He's saying, "The false witness shall not be unpunished; he that speaketh lies shall perish." Boy, when when God says something like that, mark it down. He doesn't make any idle threats. Never, never. Whenever God says He's going to do something, that's exactly what He does. Well, Lord willing, next week we're going to pick up in verse 10. I'll read it. Delight is not seemly for a fool, much less for a servant to have rule over princes. There's some interesting things to me anyway about that, and we'll talk about it then. But, uh, but I, hope, I hope tonight that uh, the Lord will use something that, uh, that we've discussed that will be of uh, a help to you, uh, a benefit for you. Anything maybe we forgot about, Brother John? Well, I, I've got to you know, say it. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Bible says wisdom begins with fear of the Lord. That's <laughs> right. You're talking about fear of old Bud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Bud, one day got something else. that them, God's up That's right. That's probably problem of a Yeah. <clears throat> they, they don't have no fear of the Lord. Yeah. So they don't have any wisdom. right. Yeah. <laughs> write it down. Their stupidity is just a yeah. and uh, I don't know if you saw it but uh, she put the whole thing on bus white people mm-hmm. yeah. I got it. so yeah. I, I don't know how many other white people that don't vote for her that saw that but uh, she's running against no water and I just go ahead and use that yeah. <laughs> I mean I, I could not believe I mean, You, know, you don't, even if you thought that you're keeping your mouth shut you're gonna your call call you, you right. know and I thought, well, this is fruit. You ain't got no wisdom. Yeah. You know, I, 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 we talked about that and we think about our, our leaders. And that's why I said this next verse coming up to me is really interesting uh, because it has to do with people in positions of leadership and their qualifications for it. And what we need to remember is there in Ephesians chapter number 6 where it says we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but we're, it tells us we're in a spiritual warfare against the powers of the principalities the rulers of darkness and high places and stuff like that. And whenever you really stop and think about our political system, if people are not born again, if they don't know the Lord, as Brother John said, if they don't have the fear of God in their heart, they're not really qualified to lead us properly. And, and if you think I'm out on the limb and making up stuff, let me tell you what you do. You go back and read what our founding fathers said about our Constitution, that it was made for a righteous people. It will not work for any other. And, uh, that, and, and that's exactly right. Well, let's all stand and... Uh, how about we have a have a closing chorus tonight uh, what the family of God I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God I've been washed in the fountain cleansed by Travel this song, for I'm part of the family, the family of God. You know, I always think about that next verse. If we never sing it, nobody hardly knows it, I don't think. And, uh, uh, and and But I'm always tempted to just keep on, and I'm afraid I'll get in the middle of it and, and won't know it. But it says, you may notice we say brother and sister around here. It's because we're a family and these folks are so dear. Right? And, and, and I hope everybody feels that way about our church. I, I, I really do. And uh, I, I thank God for it. Well, Brother Fred Scott, would you word our prayer, please? Father in heaven, we come to you again, Lord. We lift our voices in praise and thanksgiving to you. Father, we thank you so much for the blessings and prayers that you've answered. Father, we ask to continue, uh, watch, your care and blessings upon those on our prayer list for those that are healed. Father, we'd ask that you go with us and bring us back at the appointed time. Help us, Lord, to do your will in our lives each day. Give us where we fail Strengthen us. We give you the praise in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.